I'm Rebecca Rothstein, and along with my co-host, Leanne Daly, we'd like to welcome you to Say It Forward. Each week, we'll be doing one of my favorite things to do, and that's interviewing interesting people with out-of-the-ordinary life stories. They're all people who took a different path in life. Some never imagined the heights they would achieve, and others, well, they turned their childhood dreams into reality. So let's begin. Today, we'll meet culinary arts instructor Warren Schuler, a shining example of a life well-lived. After 28 years teaching advanced chemistry to New York City's high school students, Warren channeled his passion for cooking into a transformational career as a culinary instructor, teaching New York City's most challenging students. As the founding instructor of an innovative alternative education initiative of the New York City Department of Education called Careers Through Culinary Education, Warren ushered many students who couldn't cut it in traditional schools into successful careers in the culinary arts and has reveled in their success in the cutthroat world of New York restaurants. One of his most treasured moments was dining with his wife at a restaurant that was helmed by a star student, a kid who the system had almost given up on. Warren's life work is evidence of the power of following what you love to find deep meaning in your life's work. After 28 years of teaching chemistry and more than 12 in culinary arts, Warren shifted to teaching workshops, team building, and doing outreach to share basic cooking skills to formerly homeless individuals. Following New York's Superstorm Sandy, he began cooking for a soup kitchen at St. Mark's Center for Community Renewal in Keensburg, New Jersey, and has committed to working there forever. So let's rewind to the beginning and say it forward with Warren Schuler. Our listeners will detect a New York accent, so let's start at the beginning. <laughs> Where are you from? I grew up in uh, Glendale, Queens. Glendale, Queens. I never heard of that. I grew up yes. in Jersey. I never it's, heard of Glendale. It's very close to Brooklyn. Was basically a uh, German neighborhood. My grandparents came from Germany, and my parents were born here. My grandmother on my mother's side came over in eighteen. I was, I think it was about eighteen ninety eight. My grandparents and her husband came over about the same time. My grandparents on my father's side came over about nineteen oh one. So you have a multi generational New York family. Yes, Queens, New York. Queens. Family. Yep. So you were born in 1944? 1945. 1945. So you were born after the war. Everybody was home from the war. Everybody was settling and starting to build houses, have families. Were your, either one of your parents involved in the war? No. My father, he lost his brother, his parents, and was a sole supporter of the family. My father's uh, parents owned a trucking company back in the day when it was horse and carriages. They became fairly large, Shuler's Express, and when uh, motor vehicles came in, they had a fleet of about 25 trucks, were very, very successful. All the toys that my brother and sister would get would be from FAO Schwartz, which obviously in those days was very premier. Oh, and yeah. Even, it was even today, toy store. you know, if they mm-hmm. were still in business. Yeah, they know they are. They reopened. I was the tail end. I was, uh, I always like to say that maybe I was a uh, tumble in the night with my parents. <laughs> I've never heard that <laughs> because, one before. Uh, there's, uh, I believe there's 14, let's see, 14 years between my sister and myself, and there's seven years between my brother and myself. Oh. I'm the same kind of baby. So I am the 
the baby of the family. Wow. Um, Your sister was basically gone by the time oh, you yes. came yeah. along. Yeah, yeah. My my sister, when I when I remembered her, she was walking out the door, <laughs> going on with her. Are they life. alive? Your brother and your sister? Yes, yes. Your uh, sister's eighty eight. Yes, my sister lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My brother just moved to Maryland. So when you were a kid, you lived near that park. Is that do you do you you were an athletic kid, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was wasn't anything uh, uncommon. In, in that time period, back in the 50s, where just like the movies, you had a pickup baseball game. You and went up to the park. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you brought your mitt and a ball and you played ball. And if there were 10 kids, you played five on a side. If there were 12, you played six on a side <laughs> and you played. And then you came home and, you know, had some lunch and the kids would go back up or, you know, you'd go and you'd sneak onto the golf course and, you know, we always cut a hole somewhere in the fence and up there, and we'd sneak onto the golf course and wait till there was a little lull, and we'd play five holes until we got caught, and then we'd, we'd leave. <laughs> what a lovely childhood. Yeah, for sure. You know, I love that. So your parents were slightly on the older side when you were born. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the great thing was is that uh, as as old as my father was when I was a teenager playing basketball, he would come home from work, get in the car, and go. He would drag us, me, and four other players to the next game. And wow, you know, he was great that way. And you told me in, when we were coming over here that in in those early years of playing basketball, you were tall, and then something yep. happened. I grew real fast between seventh and eighth grade, and I thought I was going to be as tall as my father. My father was about six to a six three, tall and skinny. My mother, on the other hand, she was. 4.11 on a good low gravity day. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, wow. People that, people that know the old cartoons, they were like Mutt and Jeff. That's so I know exactly. Yeah. They were, yeah, <laughs> they, were, so they were that different. And I thought, I'm going to be like my father. I'm going to go. And I got to 5.10, and I was trying to squeeze 5.10 and a half out of me. But by the time I hit high school, I was short. That was it. So you, you stopped playing basketball and moved on to tennis. Tennis, yeah. Yeah, uh, I got to high school, and um, I couldn't play basketball anymore. And the my history teacher was the coach of the tennis team, and he said, "Anybody know how to play tennis?" I'm I starting up a tennis team. I said, "Yeah, I can play tennis." So I joined the team. The team wasn't real great, but we played. And I learned more, and as I went through high school, we won more, and I became a tennis player. Um, and you still play, right? And went on, yes, and went on, played in college, played Division three tennis in uh, Wagner College, where I went too. to school. And then I followed that up afterwards when I started working and having a family. I started teaching tennis for a while, and then the children came. And then <laughs> you had to make a living. And then it all stopped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For years and years, yeah. I stopped playing. Were you still living in that part of the country? I went to school on Staten Island, which is where Wagner College is. When I graduated, I was offered a job at the college. And in that, let's see, that was 1967. So the Vietnam War was raging. And uh, I knew I was going to go. Chemistry degree, I was going to be in chemical warfare, the whole deal. And the chairman of the chemistry department came up to me and said, we have a job for you if you want it. 
and I said, I'm going to be drafted. I'm going to be gone. And he said to me, how about if I could get you a deferment for critical employment? Because chemistry and the sciences, there aren't enough people teaching those, those degrees. And I said, I'm your man. Unbelievable. Did you, have a, man. Did you have a draft oh, number at the time? I had it, yep. Do you I remember had what it, it I was? Had my, I had my letter from Whitehall <laughs> Street, which was downtown Manhattan, where everybody was inspected, rejected, intact, you know, everything. <laughs> the lyric. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, was, I had that letter. I was two or three days from going when he uh, offered me the job. Wow. What an amazing thing. And I said, I'm your man. I'm <laughs> here. Serendipity, right? Jeez. Yeah. My senior year, when it was raging, and I hadn't had this offer yet, they had, uh, let's call it a, a fair, if you want to call it that, of all of the armed forces came to the school and they were looking for people to sign up for, uh, for whatever service. So I went down and I had a plan. My plan was that I would go to the army and I would say, I'm a chemist, I'll work in the labs. And when I went to the army, they said, oh, that's wonderful, except that we're not putting the science people in the labs. We're putting them out where we're spraying Agent Orange. And I said, I'm not your man. So then I went to the Air Force, and I said to them, I want to fly. I said, I want to fly jets. Got great eyes. I want to fly. They said to me, well, it's a six-year commitment. I said, it's okay with me. I'll fly. And they said, well you and probably 10,000 other people, and there's a waiting list. I said, all right. So I go now to the Coast Guard, and I figured, I'm in here. I walk over and I go, I want to break ice. I want to go up where the temperature is 42 below zero, and I want to see the ice being crushed below me. And I said, there's a six-year waiting list. You and everybody else (laughs) wants to go up and break ice. And that was it. So yeah. I, And I said, I guess I'm going to get drafted. And so sure enough. you took all your shots and they said no to all of them. Yeah. yeah. yeah it it's was, inconceivable to me that that happened to you guys. It's inconceivable that there was a draft yep. to yeah. send people, send young, wonderful, virile men to Vietnam. And then after that, after my, my year, my first year of teaching, they went into the, um, your birth date. Rather than the solid draft, what they did was they won a lottery. That's what it was called. So they put your birth date into it. And the first year, my birth date came out to be about number 330. Wow. And they had only gotten to like 180 or 190. I was saved a couple of times that way. I got a job teaching in the New York City Board of Education. And that got me the permanent deferment because they were... 5,000 science teachers short. Wow. And they were not letting go of anybody. So I got out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So let's go back, though, because um, I happen to know that you had some a very unconventional employment while you were in college. Can you talk about that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that unconventional employment. Yeah. Sort um, of unconventional. I could, not, I could not afford, my parents could not afford to send me to school. Both my parents got as far as eighth grade, and then they had to support the family and and uh, they both work and they worked at jobs that actually I should rewind a little bit because you're wondering probably well what happened to my father's 35 trucks or 40 right. trucks the tragedy was that he depended upon the honesty 
of his bookkeeper. And he discovered when people were coming at him for paying bills that his bookkeeper had stolen basically 95% of everything that my father had. So in a very short time, my father went from 35 trucks down to maybe one or two trucks. And he was driving a truck himself and could not keep the business going because he was doing big work and now he only had two trucks. So he lost that and then went to work and went to work in uh, basically menial jobs to support the family. Wow. What happened to the bookkeeper? The bookkeeper went on vacation and they never they never found them. That's so, an amazing story. So uh big shock to your family. Yeah. Oh yeah. You I were mean, living this nice rich life, you know, going doing tennis, golf yep. and one day gone. And your father your dad, how old how old was your dad when that oh, happened? Oh wow. Let's see, my father was probably in his forties, maybe. Oh, so he was a relatively young man. Yeah. Yeah, and it all just, they were well off that he had a car that had a sterling silver grill on it. He showed showed me a picture of it. It was uh, very famous, and I don't remember the the brand of the car, but that was his car. The ones with the tails and the fish, the fins. And uh, then when he had a family, he had a nine-passenger Packard, which was in those days probably equivalent to Lincoln's. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I remember that car as it was falling apart in the driveway. Wow. I remember that car. Yeah. Um, so you go to college, you can't, there's a, you told me there's like a cycle for chemistry majors where if you didn't take all the courses in order, you had to wait a whole other year. Yeah. Right? Uh, I came out of high school and I thought I really enjoyed chemistry. As any high school senior, you think you really enjoy a, co- a class. So I wanted to be a, a chemistry major and uh, I could only afford to go to school for what I saw at one semester a year. So now I, I go to school and I take chemistry one and I'm going to take off the spring semester because I have to work. I, I can't afford to, to go to school. And I find out that that's when an only time that they give chemistry two is in the spring. So now I'm in a real dilemma how am I going to be able to be a chemistry major when I can't take chemistry one in the fall when I can afford to go to school? So I roomed the first year with, uh, or I met a fellow the first, the first semester I went there who ha- was older than I was, and he came out of the Merchant Marine as a baker because his father owned the bakery up in the Bronx. And he said to me, I got a plan for you. He said, I'll teach you how to bake, and we'll work in a cafeteria of the school, and we'll bake at night because instead of making the $2.25 an hour, uh, that was probably minimum wage then, we'll get a real bonus and we'll make three thirty an hour. <laughs> Which made a big difference. <laughs> yeah, and we'll work the night. We'll work from 10 o'clock at night till like 2 or 3 in the morning. So that's what we did. And then on weekends, I would go up and work in his father's bakery up in the Bronx. Well, you are so enterprising. There were many, many, many mornings that I would come off the shift, be showing up in in my organic chemistry class with flour in my hair and dough in my ears and, you know. But you wanted it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You wanted it. Yeah. 
That's a fantastic story. And it was uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, we I learned I learned in baking at night with him that lemon extract has the highest proof of alcohol in it. Because <laughs> two in the morning we'd make some lemon juice, lemon uh, extract cocktails, and uh, get through the night. That's unbelievable. So you did, so let's go let's take a look at what your day looked like. You were in school during the day. Yes. And then you and then you had your an afternoon job and then at night you went to work as a baker. When did you sleep? I not, would not catch much, right? I would catch a little sleep between if if we finished our shift at three or four in the morning, I'd catch sleep between four and then I'd have an eight o'clock class in organic chemistry. Oh which when I, where I went to school at Wagner, it was one organic chemistry class. There was no choice, like the University of California, maybe having a class in the morning and in the afternoon or whatever. This was it. It was 8 o'clock in the morning, organic chemistry. What did you think you were going to do once you had a degree in chemistry? What was your Oh, I was going to be an inventor. I was, I was going to go to work for a, um, a lab, uh, an oil company somewhere, and I was going to be a bench chemist and I wanted to invent things. What's a bench chemist? Uh, basically, what it what it is, you you are hired, and there are tables, benches, and you've got all the chemicals around you, and you're given a, a project, and that's your area on and the bench. And you need to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But that never happened. Yeah. So you were you were employed by the university immediately as an instructor. By Wagner College. Yeah. Yes. And how long did that last? That lasted six years. I taught. Uh, I taught at night. I taught a. Um, I was like an adjunct at that time. But I also the first two years that I was hired, I was an instructor for all of the chemistry labs that that they had, and uh, and then taught at night. So I was teaching during the day, and then I taught at night. And uh, somewhere in there, I got married. You became a teacher in New York City Public Schools, as you said. Yes. Yeah, I, I started my career in a middle school, 6, 7, and 8. I started teaching on the 6th grade level, which was not where everybody in uh, the school wanted to be because I started teaching science, which was fine, except the science curriculum had things in it like, what is up? Now, if you can imagine spending a half an hour teaching what is up, and tomorrow's lesson was what is down and spending a half an hour on teaching kids what is up and what is down. So no other teachers wanted to teach sixth grade. So all the beginning teachers, of which I was, got that program. After a while, I wanted to graduate. I wanted to go to seventh grade to teach seventh grade. <laughs> and in seventh grade, one time I had a, uh, a project on um, reaction. I, I strung ropes actually threads across the ceiling of the, of the classroom. And I had races with the students. They got into teams and we made um, balloon rockets. And we would shoot the balloon rockets across the ceiling of the room for every reaction as an equal and opposite reaction. So they learned that of shooting these balloons across the, across the ceiling. Then I wanted to graduate to the eighth grade. And by the time I got to the eighth grade. It's like it's such a nice disposition. This, uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun because I, I think we were then coming into 
the era of uh, Earth Day, and everybody was getting concerned about the Earth and conservation and that. So on my way home, every day I would pass the DuPont uh, paint um, factory, which was in Sayville, New Jersey. And I would look at the, the stacks of stuff coming out of the, the paint factory. I did a little research and I found the, some of the chemicals that they were using in that. And I said to the kids, we're going we're gonna to start a project called wasn't up and away, but it was similar to that where I got a, a, a tank of helium. Each class, would we blow up a balloon once a day, and they would create postcards, and they would write on it, this is our project of uh, following the uh, air patterns around Staten Island. If you get this card, would you please return it and tell us where you found the card? And we'd wrap it up in, in plastic wrap, and I would take a, a couple of students up to the sea, up to the roof of the building, and we would launch the balloon. And we got responses from Virginia, Long Island, upstate New York, wow, uh, all places like that. Wow! And it was very exciting because then we put a map up, and we would we would put the postcards up onto the onto the wall. And That's we did incredible. That, we did that for years, and today with. I guess uh, lawyers and uh, everything that goes on with insurance, I could never do that. Yeah. I could never take the kids up on the roof of the building yeah. to yeah. do a project like that, which is very sad, very yeah. sad in today's education. Yeah. So in the, in the uh, time that you were teaching science, there was uh, some lean times in the New York City public school system that created an opportunity. Well, that's when I moved. I graduated again okay. out of middle school. <laughs> which which I call middle school like the black hole of humanity. Because, <laughs> yeah, ain't it the truth? Because when you, when you think of sixth graders are coming in and they're just coming out of fifth grade and being kind of patted on the head, and now they're changing classes. So that's a traumatic thing for a child. Then seventh grade, girls are beginning to become young ladies. Yeah. But the boys don't understand why they can't be punching the girls and pulling their hair. They don't understand that now the girls are becoming young ladies and they're looking at the eighth grade boys as the hot guys. What's wrong with the seventh grade? Now you become eighth grade, you get into the eighth grade, and now the eighth grade boys are becoming almost young men or starting but there's eighth grade girls, they don't want to have anything to do with the eighth grade boys because now they're looking at the high school boys. So all these hormones are going nuts, and now you tell them, okay, today we're going to look at what's in the atom. And it, does, it, just, doesn't, it just doesn't get there at all. So I graduated oh, to the high so school, funny. and here I am in high school. The first year I'm in high school teaching chemistry, and New York City goes belly up. That was. I have a vague. I grew up in New Jersey. I have a vague recollection of that. Was it seventy four? Yep. What was what year was that? Seventy four, seventy five. Yeah. And they sold Big Mac bonds. Yeah. And the union at that time literally floated a lot of Big Mac bonds. The, the teachers. teachers' union bought a slew of the bonds. But 22,000 teachers got laid off. 
And here I am. I just made the transition to high school, and I'm slated. I'm like the last one in. I'm on the bottom of the list. And uh, they come around, and they said, can you teach anything besides chemistry? And I said, holy crow, I put myself through college baking. I can bake. So I wrote down, yeah, I can bake. And they said, great. We have a position the one one of the two home economics teachers were laid off. We have some classes in home economics laying around. We're going to convert them to baking. So I said, okay. And But they said, but first, you have to go and get a baking license. I said, baking license? Yeah, because in New York City, you have to have a license in order to turn on a stove in a home economics setting. So now I go for baking license. I wonder why they went bankrupt. <laughs> Seriously. And I had to go. I went up to Food and Maritime Trade, a very big, prestigious school up in Manhattan at the New York City's Board of Ed ran. And uh, I went and took this baking license. And I'm the only one in the room besides the instructor. And he says to me, you have to be very important. I said, why? He goes... Look at how many other people are in here taking this exam. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know, but they sent me for this license. So that day, off the top of my head, I had to make I had to make a pie. I had to make a layer cake. I had to make four different styles of rolls, and I had to decorate the cake. And did you know how to do all that stuff? I, I had to know, yeah, because there were no recipes. How did you prep for it? They told me that I would have to make certain things, that I would have to make a, a bread product, I would have to make a, a cake product, and that more than likely it would be a tart or it would be a pie. So And, I, like, and like French Culinary Institute, it was just the name of the thing and you had to just make it off the top of your head? Yes. Or could, you, didn't, you couldn't bring recipes in or anything? No, you were not, I couldn't bring any recipes. And they gave me a student to be my assistant, but he could not do anything until I showed him. If I wanted something mixed, I would have to tell him, I need a pound of this, I need a pound of that, I need a half a pound of this, put it in the mixer. Then he could do it. Otherwise, he could not do it. And so, you knew this because you have your chemistry background. You knew how to how much baking soda, how much baking powder. Yep. And I knew it from working nights. You know, although, I I, although it was cut down, I mean, at night we baked for 1,200. Yeah, I, I consider myself to be certainly not at your level of baking, but I'm a pretty good baker. I just found out the other day how to dis, how to tell how whether baking soda and baking powder are still fresh. <laughs> I just found that out. How, what I, is it? What's the trick? You put it in water. Yeah. I had no. I just said no. If it doesn't bubble, it's not. Doesn't work. You watch your reaction. You mm -hmm. can even speed it up by putting a little lemon juice in it. Drop yeah. a lemon juice. Teach me how to do that. <laughs> Give us some. Give the, us some of your the reaction secrets. that you have of baking soda is that it's working off the um, the acid in your in your recipe, and that's why it reacts. So, if, if you go back to when your children wanted to make a volcano, you would take baking soda, and you would put uh, vinegar in it, and it would foam up, right. and it would be the that science project. Here's right. your. And that's how you tell your baking soda is any good. You put a little acid in it. Yeah, and the purpose is to push the air into the recipe yeah, to give yeah, it lightness. Yeah, it's a leavening agent. 
I had no. I just found this out the other day. I learned that for the first time. I thought, oh my god, yeah, look at that. Because I love <laughs> all little I, tricks of the trade. I love baking. I absolutely love it. So now I'm a baker for the New York City Were Board you of Education. At home and your family. Were you the person that made dinner? You're married now. Did you have children yet? My daughter is 49, and my so son. So yeah, is, you had kids then. Yeah. Yeah. So you were a teacher, you were a chemist, and you were baking. And you had – so did you make dinner? Are you a bake? Do you also cook? No. Baking. At that point, at that point, I didn't cook. Um, my wife, I had decided at that point that I would do as much work as I possibly could to keep my wife at home with the children. Did you have a um, heartfelt desire to become a chef? No. Or were you just trying to keep a job? I was keeping a job. And you were going to just work and support your family right. and do whatever you could. Yep. So, so now now I'm baking. And now you're baking. I'm doing chemistry and baking, baking and chemistry. <laughs> so I had to keep track of what chemicals I was using for the labs and what products I was taking in to do baking. Did you make it class. up as you were going? I made up the baking class as I was going, but there was a strict curriculum for chemistry, strict, because New York City, New York State has a thing called the Regents, and it's a statewide exam in all your major subjects that a, a student in a Regents program had to pass in order to graduate. So uh, that's a strict program. That was all laid out. The curriculum was solid. There was no curriculum for baking. None. So I made it up as I would as I went along. Were you enjoying it? I loved it. So I absolutely great. loved it. And uh, that lasted oh from seventy five to about nineteen eighty nine. Same job, same school, both, same thing. Both yep. curriculums, chemistry yep. and baking. Back and forth, back and forth. Would the kids call you? Uh, chef. The time that you stopped teaching, which you said was till 89. 89, yeah. what happened was one day a letter comes to the home, to the supervisor of the uh, program. And he says, uh, as a gentleman uh, that um, wants to give back to New York City and create a program where students will not just know how to make French toast, but will be able to expand their palate. His name is Richard Grousman. He uh, has a program called Careers Through the Culinary Arts Program that he's started up, and it's totally in its infancy. And he wants to put together New York City teachers that will promote his program uh, to be able to teach kids to eat, eat better and to eat other things besides hot dogs and hamburgers. So... It was a day out of school to go to a kitchen, to go back to food and maritime trade, and he then taught us all how to make a French omelet, which nobody in America eats a French omelet because it's disgusting. What is it? It's, it's an uncooked, <laughs> uncooked omelet where it's runny in the middle. And it sounds it, awful. Yes. Well, his heart was in the right. I met him too in sort of the same time period. And his heart was in the right place because he wanted to bring that classic French cooking training to people because it's a very portable skill. You can use the technique to cook yep. anything. Yeah. His book. He had a great book. Uh, French classics. And he gave everybody a book. He said, if you sign here, 
and join the program to expand the program beyond French Toast and that, he said, you'll get some donations. Well, it was the springtime and it was like Christmas at springtime. The tea fowl, we got five or six sets of tea fowl pots and pans. No kidding. We got, uh, we got all kinds of food product. We got utensils. We he got sent, hats. He sent all these things to the he school? Got, everything was a donation that he arranged. Wow. For 20, at that point, I think we had 20 schools that had signed up. What was up. his motivation? At that point, was motivated to give back to the city, which which I constantly applaud him to this Richard day. Richard Grousman. Richard Grousman. And he- G-R-A-U-S-A-M-M-A-N. Grousman. Yeah, Grossman. I have I have that book. I can bring it and show it yeah. to you. And it is a it is basically if you took the French Culinary Institute curriculum and you boiled it down into twenty chapters. Yeah, it's kind of like that. And I think he was a guy who had made some money. Yes. Um. And he he was just passionate about making sure that that sort of the gospel of the technique of French yep. cooking. And a ridiculous the thing was is that New York City, being New York City Board of Ed, bucked him for years. <laughs> years. It's unbelievable. To uh, to really let loose, um, yeah, they couldn't figure out a way to make yeah, any money on it or yeah. get any side skimming, and uh, and a <laughs> turnover <laughs> in that program for New York City internally in, with the Board of Ed, they were losing people every other year. So every other year, Richard would have to go in and explain really what he was trying to promote, and I'm giving it to you. I'm not charging you a cent. I'm giving the instructors this. I'm giving these donations, and they couldn't grab on it for yeah. years. Couldn't grab on it, but he pursued, and he eventually won. And uh, the first year, <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing, but the the first year that we were in the program, he runs a scholarship. He had some money, and he runs a, a cooking test for a scholarship. So I had just gone through my first uh, a year of baking and no a half a semester of baking and this girl comes into my class who just came back from an externship which was very rare for the board of ed to take a child out of school and send her or him to some place to work and then come back that was so her scholastic record or whatever it was that's what the guidance counselors felt was good for her and she wanted to be a chef so they sent her to some high-end restaurant in the city, and she worked there for a whole semester. And then she comes into my class. Now she's a senior. So she has, believe me, more skills than I have. I'm a baker. She's on her way to be a chef. Here comes the scholarship. And the recipe Richard sends is poached chicken in a chive sauce. I'm looking at this going, I'm a baker. Poached chicken in a chive sauce. Sauce Yeah. I have no idea. The only poaching I know is how to poach an egg. So I send her the competition with a double boiler. Well, Richard Grousman is hysterical. He's laughing. Who is this person that sent you with a double boiler to do a poached chicken in a chive sauce? So she, she was so energetic so wanting to be a chef that he had to give her a scholarship. So after he gives her the scholarship, he comes up to me at the breakfast, which was the awards breakfast, and he says to me, Warren, how about if I send you to cooking school so that you can learn how to cook? You were in your early 40s, right? Yes. 
So he sends me to the French Culinary Institute every Saturday and Sunday for two years, eight hours a day. One of my instructors was the famous Jacques Pepin. Yeah. Uh, which was oh fabulous. Pe- Jacques Pepin. I remember seeing him on TV one time. Oh my God, I can't believe you got to work with him. Yeah. 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 He, had got, he had gotten there yeah. in, in whole 89. He got there in 89. I was, yep. I, I was there from 88 to 89 at night in the, the full program, but I did it nine months at night yeah. while I was working full time. And he came in, and the thing about him is he doesn't waste anything. No. Nope. And so he Nothing. teaches you how to not waste anything. And it's yeah. an amazing lesson. And he's, he is as he appears. He is not, there's no big show. He is so gracious. He is so helpful. He wants you to learn. So let's go just take a step back, if I may. There you are, early 40s, married. How many children did you have? Two. Two kids. Your wife was at home. You were working full-time as a teacher. You had your extracurricular activities at school, doing what you were doing with the cooking and the baking and this and that. And all. The, and then you went and worked two days on the weekends, to, by, at courtesy of Richard Grossman, to become a chef. And you were trained by Jacques Beaupin. Yes. Did I get that right? You got Jacques it all. Did I miss anything? No, not yet. Except I pronounced his name wrong. <laughs> Jacques Beaupin. That's unbelievable. La Technique was the first program. I graduated from that. And he now says to me, you want to go on and do French pastries? Mm. I said, oh, yeah, I'll do yeah. French pastries. I'm <laughs> in on that. <laughs> right? So now I'm teaching the baking, but we changed the baking because now I've gone to the French culinary and we switched the name to culinary. No more home economics, no more baking. Now we're cooking. So here I am. I'm in school taking French pastries. These are 14, 15, 16-year-old kids, right? Yes. And now I'm teaching culinary and the program takes off and it goes from one or two classes. They can't, they can't keep up with it. So now it's just seniors because everybody wants in on this. This is in a public school. It's in a public school. And you're in the union. Yeah. So now my, uh, my supervisor from at that time, it was called Industrial Arts, but they changed it to Career and Technical Education. He puts in for me to be in his department and take it, getting taken out of chemistry, getting taken out of the science department, who I was very friendly with the supervisor there. And when that happened, when the switch came, the supervisor in, in science says to my supervisor in uh, Career and Tech, and they're both friends, uh, it was Joel and Lou, Joel says to Lou, he goes, I'm giving up my best AP chemistry teacher to go and make donuts. <laughs> That's awesome. So lo wow. and behold, a couple of years later, Joel was one of the, the first people to sign up for lunch every day when we would have, every time when we would have uh, luncheons once a month for the faculty. Wow. We would serve it. Well, you've had a lot of people looking out for you along the way. <laughs> A lot of lucky breaks. You didn't yeah. go to the war. You didn't do oh, that's an amazing story. I love yeah. this. Okay, so now you're doing this. So so the now I'm cooking. Now I'm cooking, this. and there's no more chemistry. Everyone's and you're so, loving it. Oh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And now my kids are getting good. My kids are Your winning scholarships every year. They're going to really nice schools. They're going to French culinary. They're going to Hyde Park, up the CIA in Hyde Park. What'd they call you? Chef or Mr. S. Mr. S or Chef. 
I finished out my whole career teaching culinary. And the great thing about it was that, and this is disappointing to say, I, as I said, I taught AP chemistry for 20 years. And in 20 years of teaching AP chem, maybe I got one letter of thanks from a student saying, thanks so much. I knew much more than my fellow students where I'm going to college. Or even a letter to say, hey, I'm now a doctor. I'm now uh, a research. I'm now mm-hmm. doing one. Maybe in the 20 years, I got one letter, one letter from a former student that worked for Hughes Aircraft. Uh, and I remember that distinctly because that was the one letter. The culinary kids, I would get invited, my wife and I would get invited to the restaurants that they were working at. Oh my God, I just got the chills. I know. It's just, isn't it? It's oh. just beautiful. So beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah, I could start crying now. <laughs> uh, we're all crying because it's just beautiful. Wow. Yeah. And then I would get, uh, I would get introduced to the chef and the chef would come out and, and, you know, it was a, it was a real like pat on the back. Yeah. Here, here I am in New York in some very powerful restaurants and a chef was coming out to talk to me. Right. You know? Wow. And the kids to this day, I'm in communication with them. Unbelievable. Yeah. And you, you have. Talk about paying it forward. Oh my God. And you, you have such standards too. Like you were, you were saying at the beginning, we always tell people they can curse if they want to on the podcast and you go, I don't curse. Right. Yeah. Right. And that comes from those days, right? Yes. In, in kitchens and I've worked in some kitchens, the, the language unfortunately is, is down in the gutter sometimes and it really isn't necessary at all. And I've always said that. I never stooped to that. And in my class, even though we were insulated in the class, the door was never open to the hall. As in a lot of other classes, they leave the door open because kids would drop in to <laughs> yeah. get food. What's up today? Yeah, they would <laughs> drop teach. in to get food. What's so, going on? you know, every once in a while, some expletives would come out of my kid's mouth. And I go, no, that doesn't happen in a kitchen, in my kitchen at all. If you want to express yourself... Angrily, you can do it another way, but just doesn't doesn't float in my kitchen at all. You know, when I heard that we were going to have the pleasure of interviewing you, I was so excited because, as Leanne knows, I love to cook. The very first day that I met my husband at 19 years old, I said, I'll cook for you. He says, yeah. I said, no, I'll cook for you. And I took him to my apartment. I took, first, I went to the market, and I took him to my apartment, and I made him a scalloped potatoes, veal cordon bleu, a seven-layer chocolate cake, and steamed asparagus with hollandaise. I probably <laughs> didn't do it as well as you would do it, but it wasn't bad. And I, have, I love to cook, and I've cooked for 48 years or some ridiculous amount of time, and I love to cook. Now, how quickly did you get married after that? Should have been like the <laughs> next day. Yeah. Yeah, Not that Three long. days later. Yeah. But to this day, I have dinners at my house all the time. I think that food and baking is the center of the universe. I think that you bring people around food. They love it. They, my four sons are here for dinner all the time. You remarked about my kitchen when you came in. Every kitchen First thing, that I've ever had. Beautiful house, but... Good kitchen. Right into the kitchen. Except I didn't get my four ovens. Did I mention? Yeah. No. Yes, you did. <laughs> Maybe you will. 
Yeah, maybe this will do it. It's the most exciting thing, and to hear what your life story is, it's unbelievable. Yeah. What an am- How come you must have touched the lives? I can't even think about this, how many. I know. Hundreds and hundreds of kids that you know. Well, you know, Kim, our executive producer outside, was talking to you about service and how it's a different – you inhabit a different space when you're in the service space. When I retired, this is a stellar story, and uh, and I hope my kids would hear it. The last year that I retired, well, the year before, I told the kids in the culinary I'm going to retire. And they said to me, you can't. I said, what do you mean I can't? I said, I'm, I'm up for retirement. I can retire. And I said, you know, it's my time. And I said, no, you can't retire because we're all going to graduate next year and you have to be here. All right. So I go home, talk to my wife, and I said, you know, I can go another year. It's no big deal. And the kids all want me to stay. So I stayed. That year, I had seven seniors graduate, seven scholarships, 130000 Oh, my God. Wow. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. What a story. Yeah. What, what a way to go out. What a life well lived. Yeah. That's an unbelievable story. So now they're older. And uh, for the first five or six years that, I had really good classes. Every summer, I would have the kids to my house. Now, they come with their kids <laughs> wow. and their wives. Uh-huh. You know, so it's really nice. Does your oh. wife cook? My wife's a great cook, yeah. So you do the baking, she does the cooking, or you both you well, go back and forth? Now, <laughs> I retired 2002. My wife is a chemistry teacher, and... I was able to keep her working for another <laughs> six years. Yeah. The opposite of at the beginning of right. the marriage, right? Keep and, her out of the house. And now, That's so funny. now she would say to me when she'd leave for work, so what's for dinner tonight? Right. <laughs> but I made her lunch every day. Oh, and then, I love uh, that. If food dinner. is such an important thing in the universe and good so now, food. Yeah, now I cook. On a regular basis, I probably cook three or four nights a week. That's fantastic. But as I said, she's she's a great cook. Yeah, and you guys started, you guys joined the Princeton Ski and Sail Club, and cooking is a big part of that too, right? Oh, yeah. That's a, that's These a guys, other... it's amazing. They joined this club, and they've traveled on yachts all over the world. When I, when I retired, I said, 2003, we went to Tahiti, and we sailed on a 50-foot monohull from um, Rayatea to Bora Bora and to Huahini. And um, when we came back, I was on a cr- we were on a crew. I, in fact, I was, I was the cook on the boat. And Linda was what they called the GA, the uh, general acquirer of food. We were basically the cooks on the, on the boat. And I came back and I said, you know, I think I'd learn, I want to learn how to sail. I actually want to be the captain on the boat. I want to learn how to sail. So I went down to Fort Lauderdale one uh, April, and I took sailing lessons. I was out on a boat for seven days, seven nights, 24 hours a day on a boat. I learned how to sail. And uh, I've been doing it since then. And I I just captained uh, a 48-foot boat with eight people on it uh, all around Antigua. Do you want to talk about a wildcat? I worked for I worked for Mr. Grousman for about seven or eight years, and this one year he sent me up to the Bronx to the school John V. Lindsay Wildcat Academy, which is a school for 
young people in the New York City Board of Education that this is the last stop on the train. They have been expelled. They have been taken out of schools because of behavior, because of poor, poor academic conditions. And this is their last school. They wanted to start a culinary program. So Mr. Grousman sent me up there. He didn't want to become involved, but the uh, supervisor, superintendent of the school said to me, would you do it? Would you set up the kitchen? So now I, now I become a kitchen designer and an educational designer of the program for their school. And I designed a 5,000 square foot restaurant and kitchen combined for their program. And I stayed with their program for five years and worked with these students that they have a graduation rate of about 92% out of the school. Wow. And these kids- Oh my God, I just got the chills again. This is unbelievable. These kids, uh, some of them went on in culinary, but it was a great experience for them of a commitment that they made. And I still go up. I still, I just was up there. Have they followed suit? Oh yeah. I go to graduation every year. So you changed their path. Yes. I go to graduation every year. Uh, I'm invited. And I just did two weeks up there last year because the instructor got sick and because I've been fingerprinted and and FBI inspected and everything else <laughs> and inoculated, um, I'm good to go for them. Is your friend, Mr. Grossman, still alive? Yes, yes. Still involved? Still involved, yep. Now let's talk about Hurricane Sandy. Okay, Sandy hits uh, the area that I live in and Keensburg where the soup kitchen is gets devastated. My area didn't get devastated too badly, but Keensburg, houses were leveled, gone. And uh, the people had lost their houses, had lost their apartments, had lost everything. And um, the fellow that uh, was working there came to our church and he said, uh, if anybody has any any food that they'd like to donate, um, and if you could cook it, that would be great. Bring it down to the soup kitchen because we're serving 250 people a day. So we didn't have power for eight days in my house, but we had gas. The gas stove worked. So my wife and I cooked up the turkeys down in the freezer, and we had a filet mignon down it. Whatever we had, we cooked it all up, and I brought it down. And his fellow George was doing a serving of it. And I said to him, George, do you need a hand? I said, I'm hanging out. You need a hand? He says, yeah. He said, uh, I cook on, when this is all over, I cook on Mondays and, you know, why don't you come and join us? So I said, sure. So now I'm with him at the soup kitchen and I'm working with him and uh, he's a meat and potatoes kind of guy. And I'm like, well, there's something else you can do with this meat <laughs> and there's something else you can do with these potatoes, you know, but I didn't want to step on his toes, you know, He's a really good soul. And uh, then the director comes up to me and says, hey, we don't have anybody cooking on Tuesdays. Would you, would you consider that? And I said, yeah, I'll cook on Tuesdays. I'll find one or two other people to work with me. I found those people and I picked up Tuesdays. And that's when I started really getting involved. And since that time, I've taught two people at the kitchen, two clients, two guests, uh, to work with me in a kitchen. So now I have people that are there to partake of the, the lunches and that now they're making their own lunch. Now they're working with me. Wow. To, uh, 
You're the epitome of paying it forward. You're unbelievable. Unbelievable. I have to say, He's very from modest. the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for coming. Yeah. This oh. was a wonderful interview. I love talking to you. Thank you, I know. It, it's just incredible. Thank so you so much. You're like such a great example of how, you know, with ease and grace, you can just add so much. Look how interesting your story is. St. Mark's, Mark's <laughs> Center for Community Renewal in Keensburg, New Jersey. Do they accept donations? Uh, yes. Send it to 247 Carr, C-A-R-R, Avenue, Keensburg, New Jersey. Great. Thank Fantastic. you. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's my honor to, to be here. <laughs> what a treat. Great yeah. story. I love that Such story. Such a great story. Thank you. Next time, we've got accomplished actor and Tony Award nominee, Sam Trammell, who is most widely recognized for his starring role of Sam Merlot in HBO's award-winning series, True Blood, the fantasy drama that set rating records for the network for its seven-year run. Sam has a long list of accomplished roles in film and TV, from Dexter to the award-winning dramedy, This Is Us, to the hit movie, The Fault in Our Stars, as well as blockbusters like Kong, Skull Island. Sam appears in several indie films, including About Ray with Naomi Watts, Susan Sarandon, and Elle Fanning, and he co-wrote and produced and starred in the indie film All Mistakes Buried. A theater veteran on and off Broadway, Sam earned a Tony nomination and the Clarence Derwent Award for his role in AHA Wilderness at Lincoln Center. Many may not know that Sam is also a talented musician who plays a variety of instruments and although not a self-proclaimed singer, he recently had the opportunity to sing for the first time with Mandy Moore on This Is Us. He currently resides in Los Angeles with his family and is an advocate for clean oceans and beaches, working with the nonprofit organization Oceana. So join us as we rewind to the beginning with Sam Trammell on the next Say It Forward. Thanks for listening to Say It Forward. Help us grow by subscribing to our podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or at www.sayitforwardpodcast.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on the iTunes store or like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram.